So where there is no water, there is no life. Did anybody get some water when you came in? If you want some, uh, there's plenty uh, in the lobby or on your way out. Uh, get uh, some water. Where there's no water, there's no life. I watched a video by the Bible Project on the water of life, and that was the opening line, where there is no water, there is no life. Spoiler alert, I took my son Weston to see the new Thor movie, and the opening scene tells us about where there's no water, there's no life. There's a dad and a daughter, and they're looking for water. That's all I'm going to say. You're welcome. But that's the opening scene. So I'm like, I just was getting ready to, to preach this sermon on water. And the opening scene has this dad and daughter, and they're in the desert looking for water. Where there is no water, there is no life. I want to take you on a journey through Scripture today where we're going to follow the stream of God's living water. And it starts in the first chapter of Genesis. In fact, Weston read it. Did you hear that? Waters, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and earth is formless and void. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep, over the surface of the waters. And so we're going to spend a few moments in Genesis 1 and 2. I want to get to our primary text in Ezekiel 47. That's where we're going to land. And then I want to take you to two passages in the Gospel of John, and then we'll finish in the book of Revelation. That's our map. And so just go ahead and hop in a canoe if you want to. Uh, Get your paddle if you want to paddle with me. And we're just going to float down this river of the water of life with God today. Are you ready? Get your life jackets on. Some of you may not know how to swim, so go, go ahead. You can physically do that. Come on, have some imagination with me. You're not that old and crusty, okay? So let's put our life jackets on. Do you hear it click? You got the the click? Okay, good. All right, so hop in. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Right after God, you know, describes this in chapter 1 of of the creation account, we have a little more detail in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And it says there, Genesis 2, verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he made a man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here we go, verse 10. Start floating. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. I'll let you choose whichever one you want to go on. But the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of the Havilah where there is gold. Maybe you want to go on that river. And the gold there in that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The, land, the name of the third river is the Tigris. Have you ever heard of that river? And the name, it runs along the east side of Asher or Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Have you heard of those rivers before? It's kind of interesting to see how our Bible talks about real places. And we're going to see that throughout our text uh, later on today. So we have this image of the garden. We have this river flowing through it. We've got a tree of life. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're bearing fruit. Some people think that Genesis 1 and 2, describing this creation account, is that God's kind of setting up his temple and he's coming to sit down on his throne. 
That might be what's happening in chapter 1 and 2. And we have this river flowing out from this Garden of Eden, God's temple. Just kind of hang on with that image and just play with that a little bit. Where there is no water, there's no life. But it sounds like there's water here, right? And it sounds like there's lots of life. But if you read your Bible, if you know what happens next, Adam and Eve eat the fruit and then they leave. And Cain kills Abel, and he becomes a restless wanderer. And there's just this search for life and meaning. And you can walk through some more Old Testament texts. And, you know, I think of, of the, the, the text there and where God brings his people out of Egypt, and they actually walk through a sea, don't they? There's water there. And then they come into this wilderness area, and they are thirsty, and they need some water. And God tells Moses in Exodus 17, just you know, take care of that. Talk to the rock and, or speak to the rock or hit the rock, whatever you need to do. And water will flow out there in the desert. There's water. And you go a little bit further and God's saying, okay, now I want you to build this little, this, not a little, uh, build a tent. It's a tabernacle. And that's going to be my presence among you. And so we're seeing water, and we're seeing this tabernacle. And Solomon's going to build that temple a few years later, and it's going to be magnificent. And that's where the presence of God is, is in the temple. And that's going to stand for about 400 years. And then Babylon's going to come and lay siege to Jerusalem, and they're going to tear down the temple and haul off a lot of people to these rivers, Tigris, Euphrates. Babylon's where that is. Modern-day Iraq. And so Ezekiel is one of those groups that's going to go to this land far from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, far away from the presence of God. And if you were here last week and I had all those bones on the table, do you remember that? And what were those bones? Did it say they were dried up? Where there's no water, there's no life. And those bones were dry and dead, and there was a whole valley full of them, where there's no water, there's no life. And we're going to wrap up Ezekiel today, and I would like to just spend a few more months, I'll be honest, in Ezekiel, but after that, you might get a little tired of it, so it's probably better to stop leaving you wanting more, so that's what we're hopefully going to do today. And so Ezekiel has this vision after the Valley of the Dry Bones, he starts to see the temple, and so this man or angel figure kind of picks him up far, a thousand miles from Babylon, takes him to Jerusalem, and starts outlining this new temple. And there's very precise dimensions. I mean, you can actually go build this from what he sees with all of this precise measurements and everything. So he's seeing this temple, and he's a thousand miles from home, and he, and he sees all of this. And then we come to our text today. In Ezekiel 47, verse 1, and I need a drink of water. Does anyone else? Are you getting thirsty yet? There's plenty of water out there if you want some. So, are you ready? Ezekiel 47. It's on page 717 in your Bibles. This is really good. I was talking with a preacher friend uh, this week. He said, Ezekiel 47 is like the best chapter in the Bible. And most of us are like, Ezekiel what? Never read that one. We are today. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. The man, maybe this is an angel, he brought Ezekiel back to the entrance to the temple. I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. 
So he sees this temple, presence of God represented in the temple, magnificent, beautiful, because we've just had some measurements earlier in the chapters preceding, and there's water coming out from underneath the door. So if you go home today and you come up to your front door and you start seeing water coming out from under the threshold of your door, are you thinking this is going to be a good day? No, ask somebody, what, what do you think would happen? He's like, I think my sump pumps failed. That's not a good day when you see water flowing out from under your door. Let's see how this story plays out. Verse 2, he then brought me out through the north gate, led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. Verse 3, as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. So it's trickling, now it's up to your ankles. You go ahead and touch your ankle if you want to. You can do that. It's, let's have some engagement here, folks, okay? So the water's in your ankle, okay? You still got your life jacket on? Okay, make sure. Hang on, you might need it later, I don't know. And so a uh, 1,000 cubits, you all know how far that is, right? No idea. Five and a half football fields, you tracksters, it's, it's one lap, and then you go around the curve, and then start the back stretch about a third of the way. That's how far 1,000 cubits is, 530 meters, okay? So five and a half football fields-ish lap, and then some on the, the track. And so he's measured that far, and it's at the ankles, okay? Here we go. Let's keep going. Verse 4. He measured off another 1,000 cubits. So he's ran around the track another length, gone around the curve and part of the back stretch. And now it's at his knees. Go ahead and touch your knees. It's okay. It's okay to do this at church. Okay? So the water's at the knees. He measured off another thousand and it's up to his waist. How are you feeling right now? How many? You think, wet. Good. Thank you. You're with me. And so we're wet. We got our life jackets, so we're okay. But you, you see the trend here. So the further away he gets, the deeper it's getting. Verse 5, he measured off another thousand but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Aren't you glad you were wearing your life jackets? And so he can't cross this river now. Son of man, he says, do you see this? We don't have Ezekiel's response, but he's written it down, so obviously he can see it and maybe he's feeling it. This is a vision, so we need to just kind of say, okay, what's happening here? So there's this picture. Let's just let the mystery kind of just settle for us, okay? Let's just let this settle. Verse, uh, verse half of, last part of verse 6. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Do you remember what we read back in Genesis 2? Got the river, the four rivers, and there's trees. And they're bearing fruit. The fruit's good. Tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and some other things. It's a garden. And so now he's at this river and he sees trees. Verse 8. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. Anybody been to the Dead Sea? Been there once. And it's the lowest place on planet Earth. 1,400 feet below sea, below sea level. It's like the hottest, one of the hottest places on planet Earth, too. And so the Dead Sea, it's, it's in this 
you know, low spot. Jordan River flows into it, but nothing flows out of it. There's nothing. It's salt. It's like the Great Salt Lake, I think. I've not been to the Salt Lake, but you can actually go into the Dead Sea, and it was 100 and whatever degrees when I was there, and you can, like, just float in it almost. It's really weird how the density, buoyancy, salt content, and it's, people go down there, and they, they rub the salt on their skin and grab the mud, and it's supposed to be really good, and that's just so there's a beauty tip there. Go find some Dead Sea mud. Uh, it works wonders, apparently. Uh, it's got a weird feeling. It's just really weird, the salty stuff in there, okay? So it's, sometimes they call it the salt sea or the dead sea. It's called the dead sea because there's no living creatures in there, at least no you know, fish-type stuff. Okay, so this river is flowing. So you're in Jerusalem, 23 miles-ish down to the dead sea. Jerusalem's like... 2,400 feet above sea level. Now we're going 1,500 feet below sea level. So we were coming quite a ways, 23 miles, give or take. Okay? And so this river is going into the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. How's God pull that one off? Just let that one sit there for a while. So we got this water coming uphill from the temple turning into this big river, flowing into this dead sea full of salts and just nastiness. And once it hits there, that water is clean and fresh. Gets even better, especially if you like to fish. Verse 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. In case you didn't hear it the first time, the salt water becomes fresh. And if people are reading this, you're like, it's Dead Sea, Salt Sea, been there. I don't know how you can pull that one off. Verse, and it says, so the river, wherever the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the, the shore from En Gedi to En Englaim, where there will be places for spreading the nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Again, we've got some physical locations that we can go visit. And he's like, the fish that you see in the Mediterranean Sea, they're going to be in the Dead Sea. That's amazing. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. There will be not, they will be left for salt. I don't know what to say about that. Verse 12, there will be all kinds of fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for, their, for food and their leaves for healing. So you get this picture from Ezekiel. We've got water flowing from this temple. And at first it's just trickling and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it flows miles and goes thousands of feet below sea level and transforms this salty dead sea that everyone knew was just kind of the last place on planet Earth and it starts to revive and bring life to this region. And it wants to remind you, where is this water coming from? It's coming from the sanctuary. It's coming from the temple. So where there is water, there is life. So that's Ezekiel 47. I want to take you to a day in the life of Jesus when he was thirsty. Did you know that Jesus got thirsty? Go to John chapter 4 in your Bible. John chapter 4. 
It's noontime. He's in Samaria. And he sits down by a well. And this woman comes to him and he asks her for a drink. And uh, she's like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Because our peoples, we don't, we don't get along very well. So John chapter 4, uh, verse 10, Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, he would have given, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. This well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You greater than our father Jacob? Jesus answered, verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back to this well and drawing water. She's not quite getting it. He asks her about her husband. They have a little discussion about relationships. Uh, He kind of pokes a little close to home. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And then she transitions the, 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 the conversation about worship at first, most of the, I think, well, this is kind of confusing, but remember where's the water coming from in Ezekiel? It's coming from the temple in Jerusalem. She's like, our ancestors worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and you Jews claim to worship, and the place of worship is there in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And so they have this conversation about, you know, living water. Jesus is thirsty. Can I have a drink? If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you this living water. And then she starts to put some two and two together, and she, she believes in this, in Jesus, and and she invites friends, and, and this day changed for her because she experienced living water. Where there's water, there's life. And where's this water coming from? It's coming from Jesus. He's like, I'll give you this water. So it's coming from the temple early in Ezekiel, coming from a garden in Eden. Now it's coming from Jesus, and it's getting to some people. You go three chapters later, John chapter 7, verse 37, we have another picture where Jesus is at a worship experience. It's a worship festival, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles where they would camp out in the wilderness uh, and all kinds of different things. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, so this is John seven thirty seven. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit 
whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified, not ascended into heaven as king. So do you get the picture here? He's like, if you believe in me, then streams of living water are going to shoot out of your gut. That's really what he's saying. Isn't that weird? That's just weird, Jesus. But is that any less weird than seeing this river coming out of a temple and flowing miles into the Dead Sea and turning that dead place into life? And so streams of living water are going to shoot out of you. But he says, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God who lives inside of you, the presence of God in you, that's going to to go out. And so the picture here is that the river of the water of life flows from that temple, flows through Jesus into us through the Holy Spirit and can flow out through others. So we've been to Genesis, been to Ezekiel, John. Where did I say we're going to close? Revelation. Pay attention, wake up. Come on, you can do this, all right? We can do this. So Revelation, we have this picture. And so again, Ezekiel has this vision of the temple, and it's very precise. And a lot of people think there's actually going to be a new temple built someday. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, and some people even go so far they're going to sacrifice animals again. But if you read through Hebrews chapter 10, it says Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. There's no more need for sacrifices. But we have this picture in, in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And he he's, gets this picture of, of the new heaven, new earth. And it looks like this beautiful bride dressed uh, for her husband. And in verse 22 he says, I, I did not see a temple in a city. This is Revelation 21 verse 22. I did not see a temple in a city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Maybe the picture here is that's not a building, it's God. It's the presence of God that is the temple. And Paul even tells us that we, we're God's temple. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. And then you go to chapter 22 of Revelation. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where was that water coming from in Ezekiel? From the temple, which many people say that's God's throne. And now in Revelation, there's no more temple. God, Lamb, they are the temple. And that's flowing from the Lamb through Jesus. Verse 2, going down the middle of the great street, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. I don't know how a tree can be on both sides of the river, but God can do that. Does that sound a little bit like Genesis 2? Tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Did we hear that in Ezekiel 47? answer is yes. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Did we hear about leaves healing people in Ezekiel? Again, the answer is yes. So one of the best commentaries on Ezekiel the prophet, right here, Revelation. So beautiful. And if I could summarize Ezekiel's message, if I could summarize this message in in one sentence, it would be ultimate healing comes from the presence of God. 
ultimate healing comes from the presence of God because this healing is coming from the temple. It's coming from Jesus. It's coming through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve them. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Still got your life jacket on? We paddled through the whole Bible in 24 minutes. on the river of the water of life where there's no water there's no life where there is water there is life what I love about God is there's just some mystery here and it's I'm okay with just kind of letting it be there other people want everything figured out I get that too but you know there's some mystery of it. what's what is this is this, is this real water is this an image is this a picture is this God? Yeah. But what I love about God, too, is that he talks about if you want to come to him, you're going to get in some water. We call it baptism. And so maybe one, per, one of you or some of you need to respond today and say, okay, I need to get into the water. If you've never been in the water, could be one way to respond. Another way to respond is to use that God is flowing living water through us, through the Holy Spirit, that, that we're in this living water and he gives us life and we are to be messengers of life wherever we go. And as followers of Jesus, we are the ones who have God's presence, his life-giving water, and we just give life to dead things all around. That's a picture of coming from that temple in Ezekiel and it goes into the dead sea and the salt water turns fresh and, and dead, you know, the living creatures are there. And so maybe we are supposed to give life and breathe life into the dead things around us. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that God makes you physically do miracles, although he can. But as Christians, we should be bringing life everywhere we go. It's a smile. It's a kind word. It's just the hope that God's going to take care of us in these dark times. Here's one, one way it looks like. I got a letter, and some of, some of, several of you got letters today uh, from Cassie Clare. Love thy neighbor. She's working, love thy neighborhood. She's working in Louisville, Kentucky. And in her letter, just a mission update, she writes this. I have met many people like Lauren, who is a drug dealer, but desperately wants to go straight. She was so grateful when we prayed for her. Streams of living water are flowing. Do you see that? Just praying for somebody. We also met Larry, a recently homeless person who was attacked by a dog along with his girlfriend in quotation marks. He is likely also a pimp. He was grateful for our prayers. Streams of living water will flow by just showing Jesus, loving them. Diva uh, no name change here, I don't know his real name, is a disabled former drug queen whom we brought a Bible to, and he is working to quit cigarettes and cocaine. We visit him weekly to talk. I'm glad she said we. We visit him. So this is what it looks like for 
God's living water where there's no water, there's no life. But my friends, we have the water of life to share with others. I think of Nick Babs who's getting ready to go preach another sermon in Ipava, Illinois, 16 years old. He's sharing life-giving water to those who will hear. My daughter Grace landed in Nicaragua last night safely. Thank you for praying for her. She's on the ground just showing Jesus' love and building houses for people in Nicaragua. Those are just three of our young people that are setting the scene for us to follow in their footsteps. But it's showing our neighbors and our, and our friends and our families, and we bring life into dead situations. Wherever we go, we should be life givers. I was with my men's group. I've had fun with you guys on Wednesday nights, and we're just, here's what we do. We just read the Bible, and we pray, and then at the end, we're like, okay, what are you going to do with this? Put an I will statement. Do, let's not waste our time. I will do this based on what I've read in the Bible. And so uh, we were reading through 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul, it's probably his final words to Timothy, young preacher, and he says, Timothy, you know my way of life, my purpose. And that just was a light bulb for me. I'm like, wow, never thought about Paul's purpose. And so my I will statement, I will write down my purpose. I have about three weeks to give it to the guys. I already got her done, sort of. It's still in work. It's still in work in progress. But before I went to bed that night, I wrote this down. Uh, my purpose, to encourage... I'm an encourager. That's just who I am. I just love to just encourage people, build them up. Uh, I love the story of Barnabas. Hebrews 10 says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called a day. So I will encourage people. I think it's important to encourage people uh, near and far. So I will encourage people near and far, my family, church, community, but far, I, I love missions, and I want the whole world to know about Jesus. So I want to do this near and far. So to encourage people near and far with the love of Christ, with the love of Jesus. I just think that's, that's where it's all at. And you know, maybe it's Jesus' love flowing through me, living water. Maybe it's just connecting them to the love of Jesus and letting him do his work in their life. That's my purpose, to encourage people near and far, to love Jesus. What's your purpose? And I hope that involves the living water of God because it's not from me, it's from God. Remember the source. Where there's water, there is life. And that water was trickling out of the altar and the temple, the presence of God. Ultimate healing comes from the presence of God. Last sentence in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, verse 35. He's looking at this temple and this new city, and it says the name of the city is, is Jerusalem. That's, that's where the temple is. And the name of the city is the Lord is there. Come, Lord Jesus.